Welcome to the fifth episode of the Bulldog Educators Special Series with your host, Kirsten Wilson. In this episode, I will continue to utilize the references from the article, How to Better Support Your Marginalized Students by Gail, that defines what are marginalized people in the education system. We will continue to also reference the six essential characteristics of a PLC and the four questions of a PLC adapted by Learning by Doing from Learning by Doing by Solution Tree, originating from the work of Richard Dufour. In this particular episode, our guest, Dr. Yvette Allen Moore, will be asked questions that reference research articles shared with the guests ahead of time or are resources shared by the guest. Particular research that is referenced in regard to the PLC comes from the work of Valenzuela with the title Preparing Staff for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Initiatives from Edutopia. All of the resources, along with the resources mentioned by Dr. Evett Allen Moore, during the interview can be found in the show notes of this episode. As shared in previous podcasts, the three-letter acronym PLC that listeners will hear referenced throughout the podcast stands for Professional Learning Community. I hope you enjoy this episode. I want to welcome my listeners as today as I interview Dr. Yvette Allen Moore. Dr. Yvette Allen Moore is founder and CEO of ELA Education Services LLC. She also serves as the New York Tech's inaugural assistant dean for diversity, equity, and inclusion. While she is based at NYITCOM in Arkansas, she serves students, faculty, and staff at all New York Tech campuses. Prior to joining New York Tech, Moore served as an Assistant Vice Chancellor for Diversity, Inclusion, and Community Engagement at Arkansas State University in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Dr. Alan Moore is a proud alumna of Arkansas State University, Go Wolves, where she earned her Bachelor's Degree in Communication Studies. She then went on to earn her Master's of Art in Communication Studies from the University of North Texas and her Master of Science in Family Studies from Texas Women's University and her Doctor of Philosophy in Higher Education with an emphasis in diversity and higher learning from the University of Denver. And that I met her when I was at the Innovation Rally in Hot Springs this last fall, where she presented on the topic of diversity. And I instantly wanted to know her and hope she wanted to include me in her circle of people. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Yvette Allen Moore. Can I call you Yvette for the remainder of our, our time? <laughs> yes, please do. And thank you for having me. So today, as I talk to Dr. Yvette or Yvette, I'm going to be exploring some questions that dive into the two questions I, re I presented in the first episode that we had, where I told you as listeners that we would be looking at the questions of how do teachers from marginalized groups report that PLCs have impacted their professional practice? And how do teachers report that PLCs support or limit the use of individual perspective and voice in K-12 school spaces but today we're going to be, we'll be exploring in higher ed spaces as well. So I'm going to be asking three questions of Yvette, and I hope that we all gain something from what we learn from her responses to these questions. So we're going to start with our first question. Yvette, what is your understanding of PLCs? What are your personal feelings about PLCs in regard to how your own voice is honored in your organization? with PLCs. Absolutely. So my understanding of PLCs are, I guess I would summarize them as uh, learning communities where individuals can come together 
um, about either a specific uh, topic or area um, or something of interest to all of them and kind of discuss it and learn and grow together. Um, they can get insight from each other, discuss uh, research. And I've seen different people kind of do uh, PLC, PLCs different ways, but the ultimate goal is to learn and to grow um, and to kind of check in with each other, right? Because there's there's ways in which, you know, some people may know more information on one end, others may know this, uh, and really checking in on each other also about moving past what's considered status quo, right? Moving past um, things that we've just done because we've done it uh, and moving past those things or at least examining standards to make sure, are we doing it just because it's been happening? Is this truly, for example, equitable to all the populations that we serve? Um, that would be kind of how I sum up PLCs. And yeah, then- and, and thinking about what you're talking about, um, that really creates um, an opportunity to be curious. And as Brene Brown says, get curious and ask questions. Yes. And um, one of the things that I think sometimes we don't have enough information or feel safe with other people to feel like we can lean in and, and ask those questions. And so um, I'm kind of, I guess, leading to how do we develop those soft skills and those relationships so that we can have those meaningful conversations? Absolutely. I think um, you think about just the core of anything, really starting with relationships, for example, um, those connections with people. I mean, just thinking about anything, um, let's say you need to let someone know that something may have been um, either incorrect or there is new language for something or there's this better way to do this typically relationships make that easier if that makes sense and so I'll give an example if I have a work relationship with someone someone who I've worked with before someone who we've we've gone over strengths and weaknesses before we've had uh, conflict management before I can go to that person and say, hey, X, Y, Z, right? And they're gonna be more receptive of that. But then when you have situations where it's someone you may not have a really, um, well, any type of relationship with, sometimes it's not always uh, received as well, right? And I think relationship brings in other pieces of, for example, you know that typically the person, if you have a relationship with them, you know that uh, for the most part, it's probably well-intentioned, or if you know, or you worked with them before, if they are a growth-minded person, you understand that they're coming from that type of perspective, right? And that's if you've had that experience. And so I think that when we're talking about getting people connected in those ways, I think those relationships matter. And then when you're, you're talking about getting connected to people it's little things kind of like you said right uh, we met at a conference right you're connecting you see someone you meet them you talk about what is of interest to both of you <clears throat> and you continue those connections that way um and, and kind of grow that way so I, I use that example to say there's always even the smallest way that people can connect and begin relationships to begin those what i consider authentic uh conversations so going into uh, question two, the PLC has generally had a structure of six characteristics and four questions that are meant to drive PLC teams. In your field of work with higher ed, do you have a similar framework for that protocol? And what do you see as beneficial in what your colleagues and you are doing as a collaborative group? And what do you see that is lacking for you personally and for BIPOC educators in higher education with collaborative groups or teams? So when thinking about higher education specifically, um, there is a um, framework 
that I think about when I think about PLCs, and it is called an inclusive excellence framework. And it is this framework, essentially in, in summary, right? It has a, a number of different tenets, but in summary, it's this idea that we cannot be excellent if we're not inclusive, meaning we're taking a deep look at are we really inclusive of all populations? Are we inclusive of what matters to them? Are we inclusive of what different groups and identities value? And I think about PLCs for that reason, because when I my understanding of PLCs are groups of people who are coming together to look at different ways that either a group or institution can be better. And so inclusive excellence, looking at it that way, it looks to embed um, this framework and idea of equity throughout an institution or an organization. Um, and so it specifically looks at like uh, in higher education, for example, a lot of um, there may be an office of equity or diversity. Um, a lot of people position a lot of the work there and you do have your experts which help lead the work, but inclusive excellence helps extend it to not only that office, but how does it look in everyday settings? For example, offices of financial aid, advising, uh, admissions, all of those have elements in them that should have components of equity, for example. And so inclusive excellence looks at not just having one person or one office look at it, but how do we really embed this in the entire institution? And so I get that same sense when I'm thinking about PLCs, right? Thinking about how do we look at this and make our organization better? So I would, I would compare um, that a lot to inclusive excellence, I would say. I also think about in higher education, um, just the different interest groups or affinity groups that um, are put together on those campuses to make sure that people have spaces to talk about things that concern them, to have spaces to learn in safe spaces, right? Where, you know, people genuinely are coming there to learn and you have a, a space to really get into some deep conversation and address, you know, you know, ignorant, ignorance or address how do I move past this or address how do I learn more about this um, and really put some action um, into those things to where it's not just surface surface level. So I, I would offer that. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the interest affinity groups. One of the articles that I read as I prepared for this podcast speaks about that piece of work that was done in a particular school where they had safe places for uh, teachers of color and then safe places for teachers that were not of color so that they could discuss those things in a way that they could all grow but then they came back together in discussion as well so it wasn't like things were happening in silos but they had safe places to discuss and then come back and address the concerns that were brought up in these different groups and how do we help each other work through that. Also, when you talked about the inclusive excellence framework, is there a resource or a place that our listeners can go where they can do some work and learn more about that? Oh, absolutely. The AACU, which is the uh, was, uh, the Association of American Colleges and Universities, they have a lot of information on, because they, um, I believe it's like early 2000s when this kind of, I don't want to call it a movement, but this initiative uh, started and they got it, uh, I believe it was a Ford grant. But yeah, if you go to the, I think it's just aacu.org, I believe. Um, if you head there, they have a tab that um, lists inclusive excellence and it'll give you a history of it as well as there are some main articles that really break it down for individuals as it relates to um, how can, what, what does this mean if I'm adopting inclusive excellence in my organization? What are those principles? How does this look in everyday settings? And then what are some strategies to, to get it going? And they have some, for example, inclusive excellence toolkits, or there are some organizations like University of Denver, for example, um, they have created a 
um, inclusive excellence toolkit that was available or used to be a couple years ago on their website that they had as a resource uh, for individuals. And so those may be good places for people to start um, if they want to begin looking at inclusive excellence. So I have a, a summary article for inclusive excellence. If, any, if that would be helpful to anyone, I can just send that to you. To that would be great. Um, my third to... question and the final question for you is, how has the current collaborative team process impact your voice in higher education? How does it affect the voice of other BIPOC higher education colleagues? And what is the impact on student voice, particularly marginalized identities in higher education? Um, so I think it sounds like the central question is kind of about voice and are there instances, for example, where some voices could be hindered or amplified, right? When you think exactly. about it. And so I think that um, when you think about these spaces um, and groups and, and how different people organize for equity purposes, it definitely has, the intent always is to amplify uh, voices. And I think that is always the initial um, effect on something of that nature. And I think that sometimes that what happens and what we have to be cautious about is um, making sure that we define, for example, any groups, let's say you're concentrating on, let's say you want to look at, you know, black men persisting, you know, in um, higher education, right? Or LGBT plus persisting in higher education. You wanna make sure you also define your groups and what you want your outcomes to be because sometimes when we're talking about equity things, what does happen, even though we, we do have a chance to amplify voices, what sometimes also happens is you have individuals who, for example, may not be a part of certain identities or groups that are well-intentioned, but begin to speak, they think they're speaking up, but begin to speak over these groups and begin to move forward with initiatives that um, may not necessarily be wanted by individuals or groups within a certain um, identity. And so we also have to be careful about that as we are learning and growing. And I know that we are getting really excited and eager about justice, but identities are important and it's important to understand our identities and where we hold privilege and where we're marginalized so that as we are advocating, and again, the intent is to amplify voices that we also don't hinder voices um, just simply from our excitement and being well-intentioned. So I can see it definitely, the, the initial effect is always amplifying voices, but I would just offer that to be careful about um, those, the ways in which things can kind of seep in to where you can, when intended to speak up, you might actually speak over some some groups and populations. That. And as we're, we think about just equity in general, it's just good to reflect because we all do have different identities and we all come from different experiences that if we're committed to this journey, we do constantly reflect um, and we change and we do better as we as we know better. Being intentional about who's in the space, but also when you're in that space, taking a look to say, you know, are different perspectives uh, recognized or did they have a chance in some way to offer that feedback? Not in a way that you just uh, want to put them out there and say, oh, because you are, you, you just must have something to say, but more so right. this is what we're talking about. This is the topic. What you've shared, I believe, is going to really enrich what we've already heard from in the other series guests that I've had. And I also appreciate the perspective from higher ed. Um, if uh, the uh, listeners want to get a hold of you or contact you in some way, how can they reach out to you? Absolutely. It can be, well, a couple of ways. Uh, email, my email um, is eallen03 um, at nyt.edu. 
um, for ELA Education Services, it is elaeducationservices at gmail.com. Uh, Those are all, both good ways uh, to get a hold to me. Yeah. I would love to connect with, with any of your listeners. Absolutely. And I also want to put out there to our listeners, if you are in a capacity to have a guest speaker, I've heard that speak on this topics of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. She is a phenomenal speaker. She gives lots of great um, suggestions and strategies, as you heard in this podcast. To reach out to her if she, you think that she would be someone that would be beneficial to your school, your district, your higher ed program, or in community spaces where you're working on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in those community spaces as well. And uh, thank you so much, Yvette, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you again. And thanks for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to episode five of this special series from the Bulldog Educator with Dr. Yvette Allen Moore. This was initially intended to be the last episode. However, I was fortunate enough that every guest I requested to interview accepted the invitation for this special series. The content and experience that each host has brought to each episode requires that I expend the special series into six episodes. In the sixth and final episode of this special series on the Bulldog Educator, I'm going to reflect on the first five episodes, share my shifts in thinking, and share my curiosities that arose from my work regarding the marginalized voices of teachers and students in the professional learning communities. I hope you join me. And of course, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Bulldog EDU. Thank you for joining me and we look forward to seeing you in episode six.